Welcome, everybody, to the Photog Adventures podcast, episode 12. I'm Aaron King. And I'm Brendan Porter. And we are the Photog Adventurers. We decided to make 2016 the year that we get out there with our cameras. Like many of you guys, we have lots to learn, and more importantly, a lot more that we need to put into practice. We love landscape photography and astrophotography, and we're lucky enough to live in Utah, where beautiful landscapes are right off our doorsteps. So back in March, Brendan and I decided to create Photog Adventures, where we bring you guys along with us. We'll take you to awesome places like Bryce Canyon, or Zion National Park. Those are two places that we are editing right now that'll soon go up on our YouTube channel. Or hear from us every week on our podcast where we talk about what went well for us and maybe what we did poorly. Or just keep tabs on us on our social media through our Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram page. Or you can find everything all at our website, photogadventures.com. Okay, so today, folks, we're here with Jeff Harmon. He's the host of Photo Taco, a podcast about photography and other photography-related stuff. It's an awesome podcast that you can actually listen to in the time you eat a taco or 18, depending on the topic. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Some tacos are bigger than others. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, thanks for meeting with us and thanks for letting us have you on our show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, guys. We wanted to ask you just a couple of the typical questions like how you get started in photography and what gear you have. So how did you begin in photography? So I started in uh, Christmas of 2011. And it was, it just came from, uh, my kids got to the point where they were old enough. I needed a better camera to take pictures of them. The point and shoot Mm -hmm. that I was using didn't do a good enough job on automatic mode. And I didn't know anything about it more than that at the time. (laughs) And, uh, so I was tired of getting blurry pictures. I wanted something that would actually capture them. So Christmas, 2011, got my first DSLR and, uh, I've been diving in really hard ever since uh i got a canon 60d that year that was the camera i got with the two kit lenses the uh 50 18 to 55 and the 55 to 250 kit lenses had no idea what i was doing um (laughs) i didn't even really pick canon out of anything else i just that was the line of camera that i had had when i got point and shoots was canon so i just stuck Mm. with it (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't an actual decision <laughs> that I made. Uh, I just kind of fell into it that way. And then, you know, after Christmas, uh, we we had the boys uh, jumping in our basement onto beanbags that I was trying to take pictures of to use the fancy camera, and they were still blurry. <laughs> the pictures were still blurry because uh, I was using mm. this, these kit lenses <laughs> that couldn't go fast enough. <laughs> and, and so... You know, they were basement lighting. Yeah, the basement lighting was terrible. And uh, and so my wife actually said that night, like, did you get the right thing? (laughs) (laughs) Did we make a mistake? No. Should have gone with Nikon. I'm sure it's user error. I just have to figure out how to use (laughs) this thing. And uh, so I've, I've been diving in like crazy ever since then, trying to figure out how to use the camera. I heard recently on the podcast, you told that story, and I didn't realize that was your very beginning with the cameras as well, just the very beginning of photography. Yep, that was the start of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kids are super fast subjects. I mean, there's no difference between kids, taking pictures of your kids, and like sports photography. Right, right. <laughs> so it, was, it was essentially sports photography in my basement that I was trying to do yeah. with this kit lens <laughs> and, and no knowledge. I didn't know enough to even put it in manual mode yet. I was, I had nothing. I didn't know anything about them. So it was... Yeah. Like I turned it to the dial to the sports guy on the right. <laughs> You're like, you should do that, right? Yeah, did, it has a little. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that choice back then was Canon, and I know that your current gear is Canon. Did you choose Canon specifically? Well, or was it just happened? Yeah. So I, 
I've been, I've stuck, I've stuck with it. Uh, I got the 7D Mark II a couple years ago in, in 2014. Um, and so what I was looking for was I, I knew I didn't have the lens selection. So I bought a couple of lenses since then. I got like the, the nifty 50. That was a, yeah. mm-hmm. that was the first one I got. Cause I, I started to figure out I needed something faster and those were in reasonable price range for a beginner <laughs> starting right. out. So, so I went with that and then I got a Tokina or yeah, Tokina lens for some wide angle and, I started to get a couple of lenses, but they were all still EFS lenses. They weren't, well, actually, the 50 was an EF lens, so it could have gone on a full frame. Right. But the full mm-hmm. frame was still so far out there on budget, too, that uh, there was no way I was going there anytime soon. So I, I did upgrade to the 70 Mark II so that I could get some weatherproofing and mm-hmm. so that I could get the focus system that's in there. And it was at the time I did that, it was the best option for a, a hobbyist like me getting kind of more of the advanced features in a camera. Uh, since then, I think there's some some other bodies that probably would have captured my attention more. And I didn't have this massive investment in lenses, so I could have switched. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, at the time, that was the one that had the best option for a hobbyist and interested in doing all types of photography from landscape to sports. So I, I there for now, uh, if I could, <laughs> if I... If I had the time to do it, I'd probably sell off all the Canon stuff and go Fuji. And go Fuji. You want to stay crop sensor APS-C, but you also want to have light. Lighter, huh? Yeah, and I don't know how much lighter it's going to end up being. I think once you add lenses in that are Mm. good lenses, you still end up with uh, some weight there. So that's not really my... my, It's not getting lighter that I'm, I'm as worried about. But uh, the quality, I think the image quality available from Fuji, especially the low light performance and the dynamic range, those uh, aspects of it, I think, are a lot better than what you can get out of a Canon sensor right now. And then the lens oh, yeah. quality is what I worried about because I, I knew after looking into it even right shortly in 2011 that it kind of broke down to between Canon and Nikon. That was really the options then. Fuji wasn't a player. Sony wasn't a player. Um the the reason to do one over the other for Canon and Nikon was the lenses for Canon were far superior at the time, and the sensors for Nikon were far superior. So you kind of had to pick right. which one you'd get into. And so I was fine being where I was because the lenses were, were a big deal for the, the various photography that I wanted to do. And uh, so... But like I said, if if I spent the time on it, what I don't want to do is for me to do it, I'd have to sell all my gear and I'd be without a camera for a while. Right. (laughs) And I don't want to do that. that. I don't want to be without my camera for a while. So it's that it's just the steps, just the process of having to to do that that's preventing me from going over to Fuji. I completely hear you. Recently, I had a 70D that I put up for sale so I can buy a Canon 60. And that two week period where once I put it up for sale, and I didn't want to break it in the process right. by using it while it was up on auction. I was like, I can't pull it out of the box. And that was hard. Had some really good lightning storms that I couldn't go out and catch. Mm. Right. <laughs> and, and for me, coming from, I'm coming from a video background. I've been doing video since high school. And so for me, it was a, Canon was a clear winner because of the video right. options. And I, ended, I started with a 60D as well. That was my first, my first um, actual Canon digital SLR. Before that, I had like some Minolta, um, Diamage, you know, little point and shoots that had some nice glass built in, but you couldn't change the lenses or anything. And 
they were fun to shoot, but I needed something bigger and better. And that was my next step was a 60D as well. And because of black magic and some stuff like that, is some research and saw the video options. I was just like, this is clearly better than anything Nikon had at the time. So that's yeah. why I went with, with Canon and I'm still, still there as well. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that with the 5D Mark IV that they haven't done more to the sensor. In Nikon yeah. It's like doing. they are a little bit. The 5D Mark IV seems like it's a, definitely a step in the right direction, but still not as competitive, I don't think. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're, they're, they have to be conservative because I think Canon's focus is, uh, is more on the, like, the reliability side than it mm. is anywhere else. And so they, they want to produce true. a camera that a photojournalist can take out into their field for 10 years and not have any problems, not have it fail right. on them once. And so they'll opt to not put in those fancy features in the in because they they know they've proven the technology is going to withstand the abuse uh, by those those yeah. people. So I, I think that's more the objective Canon's having, not trying to stay up with with every latest thing. And that's not me. Keep it with know? the Joneses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Since I'm a hobbyist and I, I this is not how I'm <laughs> making my living. And uh, I if it fails, <laughs> yeah, I'd be sad. But that's all. I would be sad. <laughs> so uh, so I'm fine with with better features. So we listen to you on improvephotography.com. You show up in the round table on the weekly podcast and in photo taco. So how did you even get started with Jim Harmer over there? Your brother, apparently, since you guys have identical names, that's impossible <laughs> yes. to tear apart. Poor Jim. He's, he's <laughs> like this fantastic, really kind of famous <laughs> sort of photographer <laughs> and people mistake me for him constantly. And it's great <laughs> for me. I get benefit from that, but yeah, <laughs> but we're different people. Yeah. So um, the, the way I got started was, it was, it's an interesting story. I was an avid listener. So that was one of the, I found improvephotography.com pretty early on there in 2012. It was in January, 2012, I think, as I was going oh, to wow. figure out my camera, I found his website and one of the challenges I had in trying to learn how to use the camera was it seemed like all of the blogs, all of the podcasts, they they took pride almost in using words that normal people couldn't understand. <laughs> right. Mm. They had all this vocabulary. <laughs> like, what are you even saying? I don't understand how you're trying to explain this because you're using <laughs> words I don't get. And I'd have to try to look up, like, you know, pause the podcast or switch to another tab on the browser from the blog I was reading <laughs> and go research what that word meant because I couldn't figure it out. And Jim didn't do that. Jim had really good instruction that anyone could figure out. So it really, really uh, was something I gravitated towards. And so I was a, a super avid reader of his site and listener of the podcast that he did. And so at that time, he had a, a co-host, uh, Dustin, on the podcast. And uh, it was about three or four months, I don't know, maybe six months into listening to the podcast, Improved Photography podcast, that Dustin left. He, he decided he didn't want to do that anymore with Jim. I've always wondered what happened to that yeah, guy he, in those first few videos. And he moved away from where they were in Idaho, and, and he's still doing some photography. I follow him on, on social media, and he occasionally mm. posts some stuff, but it's not his business. I don't know what he's doing for, for business, but I think mm, he gotcha. just kind of decided he photography business was not what he wanted to do, especially mm. the education aspect that Jim focuses on. So um, so they he, he left, and uh, Jim needed help. He didn't. He was trying to go out alone, but he felt like uh, the style of education and podcast, the popularity of his podcast had to do a lot with the two people on the show or more. 
And one person alone for how he wanted to do it wasn't going to be as uh, entertaining or popular. So he just mm -hmm. said on his podcast, hey, I'm looking to add someone to help me with my podcast, someone to replace Dustin. And uh, let's so submit applications, gave an email address. And so I decided to do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I decided to apply and, and see if he'd <laughs> let me be on the podcast with him. Is this still 2012? Yeah, I think it was 2012. Maybe it was, I, I can't remember, but it, so it was pretty a early. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably within about a year of, of getting into going on my camera. So we did. He, he had a little trial episode of Improved Photography where he went through, I think it was about, I don't know, seven to ten different hosts who uh, were trying out to be his assistant on the podcast. And then he didn't actually pick me to do it. <laughs> oh, I thought you beat out seven to ten no, hosts. No, no. He, awesome. he didn't pick me to do it. Uh, he, he picked another, another photographer who's not doing it anymore. And, um, mm -hmm. and they, so they did that. But he did say, I'd like to have you come on periodically to to the the show and then um this is still kind of debated about how photo taco got started because he thought it was my <laughs> idea and i swear it was his idea so <laughs> so but he he wanted us to, to spawn off a couple of other podcasts he wanted to build a network of podcasts instead of just having the one so mm -hmm. he was uh, it, and he had all these hosts who came on who did a pretty good job with with being on the podcast so he, he wanted to start a few, and I think he came up with the idea of <laughs> tips in the time it takes to get a taco. And uh, That sounds like a gym thing. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Not, yeah. Not, I'm not clever enough for that, so it has to have been gym. <laughs> That's hardly what I was pointing at. <laughs> uh, so so he, he, th he threw out the idea, I, I think. And uh, so he said, why don't you, the, the way you got to get started with a podcast, you have at least, you have to have 10 episodes ready to go and just roll them out. Bam, bam, bam. Make sure you get this consistency going. Start building up the audience. We'll say on Improved Photography that we're starting it, and, uh, and we'll see if we can make this work. And so we did. I started doing it, and it's gone okay so far. You've done it since 2012, 2013, you think? I think it was 2013 that we got it started. Yeah. All right. Weekly, twice a week since 2013. Well, it was only twice a week for about the first, I don't know, four or five months was all. And then we, okay. then we switched okay. to once a week. I just got uh, more detailed. I wanted to do more detailed dive-ins on particular topics. And 15 minutes didn't do it. So I was cutting shows. <laughs> no. I was doing like part one and part two. And oh, I, you know, yeah. Why do part one and part two? That's dumb. So <laughs> just once yeah, a week. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, ever since we started the podcast and doing YouTube, weeks just started to feel really short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's time again. You're like, wait, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's surprising how much effort or how long it takes. I probably spend about three or four hours just researching and scripting out what I want to say on the podcast, and then another couple hours recording and editing it. So it's it's a good five or five to seven, maybe 10 hour commitment a week to, to do a single episode. Oh man, that's really good to hear because we watch you guys. You're so polished. We think, man, we take forever to do our podcast. <laughs> they must do. I think it's normal. Weird. <laughs> yeah. I think our workload is normal. Uh, it's that typical Thanksgiving dinner where your mom's taking all day to make it and you take five minutes to eat it. Yeah. Right. So you sit there, listen to a 30 minute podcast. Yeah. You have no idea what it went into. Right. It. <laughs> So Jeff, from, from what we've gathered from following you and, and seeing you and, and listening to you, we know you like to do all kinds of different part, you know, portrait and landscape and different types of photography. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite like genre in photography? So my favorite is definitely landscape. And in particular, um, 
when it's a place that's not accessible to everyone, uh, people maybe haven't been there. Mm. I don't do nearly enough of it. <laughs> that would take a lot more time <laughs> again. But mm. but the few times that I've been able to go out and do something either that no one else has done, um, like the this the light orbs that we did with improved photography. Oh, a while you were ago. with them in Arizona when they did that. I took the shot. So yeah, I I did the camera oh. work on that while they. At, and built most of the light orb machines too, and uh, so they just grabbed the machines and they were out there doing the the orbs, creating the orbs. But uh, so before you go on with that, I was just explaining this to Brendan and trying to explain how you create a light orb or what it actually ends up. I know it ends up looking like a globe or an orb of light, but I can't remember what it is before you spin it. Does it spin itself? So uh, you certainly could. It's there's no uh, product you can go buy for it, as far as I know. It's uh, homegrown, so we made it out of PVC pipe and bolts and nuts and uh, Christmas lights. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, that's the, we we created one that you you sort of built a crank out of PVC and a stand and then had bolts. It looked sort of like a, a propeller um, on PVC, mm-hmm. and then gotcha. the Christmas lights kind of stuck out of both ends of the propeller, and then uh, so you you. Do like one turn in, at a, a zero degree orientation, turn 15 degrees, do another turn, turn to, to you know, keep going around in a 360 oh, circle. Okay. So, um, so that the way we, we did it up, first of all, we had to create a grid so that you had some sort of organization and could see distinct orbs, circles of light out there. And then, um, and then you, you had all the people get into one of the boxes of the grid. I would remove my hat from in front of the lens. So the, the shot was going for, it was in bulb mode, and I just held the shutter down the entire time. Well, I had a remote release, but just held the shutter You're open kidding. the entire time. So it was a it was probably a 30-minute shot, 30-minute wow. shutter at least. And then uh, so I put my, I had my hat over the, the lens just to keep it nice and dark. And then when they were ready to do the orb, I'd take it off, I'd yell go, they did their orb around in a 360 circle, put my hat back over the top, say, go, move to the next spot. And, <laughs> and we did that till there wow. were, I, I think it was two, over 200 light orbs in the photo. So setting the, the world record of it. So that was really fun because that's something I'd never done before. It was right. really cool. Like it was the first shot we talked about in the, our team talked about, okay, how, how what should the, the exposure be for this? How do we do this? And we thought that would work, but we didn't know for sure. And <laughs> we, we did do a couple of tests once we were up there. I, I, I did exactly what I was going to do. But we didn't know if uh, in 30 minutes the noise maybe in the shot would right. look so bad that it would be a problem. Mm. The thing that helped... Sensor heating up. Yeah, the sensor heating up. The thing that helped, though, was really cold <laughs> when we did it. <laughs> so that, that helped keep the, the sensor cooler. Uh, but I was always I was worried through the whole thing, like man, if I bump this camera, it's ruined. Right. If I, <laughs> that's intense. Yeah, super careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys actually built two hundred of these things? No, they built like a six. Yeah, and I you built, walked in your grid. Right. We had. We, I think we oh, had. Okay. We had five people built doing the light orbs, and they just I I'd walk them through the grid and have them move around. Okay. Until we had about two hundred orbs captured in the in the exposure. Holy cow! That's yeah. cool. One of my searches early on, I came across that, and I don't know how I came across it, and I haven't seen it since, but uh, I know that you guys went to Arizona. Why Arizona? Yeah, that was so the, the improved photography uh, community, we do free 
they're kind of workshops, but they're not they're not paid. They're free. It's just you travel, you pay for your own travel to get there. And then we're just all going to stay in the same hotel and we're going to go around to the same places and shoot. And uh, and so Jim does them all over the country uh, periodically. He announces them on the podcast and they they just set a date and mostly has to do with what's available on Groupon so that Jim can get good deals to to travel <laughs> to places. Then um we they just end up meeting and and that one was close enough to where I'm in Utah that I could drive down to so we we just drove down and uh, he just decided to do a southern Utah northern Arizona workshop and so that was just one of the few I think they gotcha he did like six of them that year all over the country and in Iceland wow yeah he's going to Ireland next they're doing up mm. in uh, I don't know where in Ireland I don't think they know yet exactly right. but they're going to go Ireland yeah cool. So you were talking about the light orb saying towards the type of landscape and photography you enjoy. What were you going to say about that? Well, it's just the the shots that I most appreciate and that are the funnest for me to figure out what to do would be something that either nobody's doing like that, a technique that nobody's out there making 200 light orbs, or capturing a, a spot that isn't someone something everyone can just walk up to. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, it, it just makes it... The subject matter is kind of the first starting point on a, a shot that is unique and not a snapshot. Uh, those places that are so touristy, that's pretty much anyone could capture it with a phone. And the phones are good enough now. They do a decent job of it. So right. uh, so it's really hard to try to, photo, to to photograph a site like that and have it be a really exceptional photo. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I love being able to go somewhere that it took me uh, an hour's hike to get there. And uh, we had to stay up till three in the morning to get the shot. And <laughs> those are really, really fun. I have I've only done it a few times. And that's the ones that I really like. We got to get you out on a photo adventure. That'd be fun. Yeah, because yeah, that's how we feel basically, too. Like we're very, very similar in that aspect. Yep. Yeah. So speaking of places like that, where in Utah do you find to be your favorite to get a shot like that? Maybe not a landmark location, but where do you find that you always want to go back to? Yeah, so, I mean, the the place most accessible to me uh, that takes the least amount of time is right off my back deck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the place I go to most uh, whenever there's like a, a really cool sunrise. And in Utah with the mountains here, uh, it, it happens fairly frequently to to have a really cool sunrise come right up over the mountains and then the mountains provide you know a little bit more than just the clouds that look cool um right but and sometimes i i have tried uh, i i work from a home office a couple of times a week and mostly have to go into the office but i work from home a few days a week and sometimes on those days uh when it looks like there's going to be storm clouds i will wake up early with the sunrise especially in the summertime head out to a location still near my house, just it's drived only like 10 or 15 minutes away. And then there's, I live in the, the foothills of Harriman here in Utah. So I'm right on the mountains already. Right. And, uh, and I can go drive a few minutes away, just try to get away from houses and walk up the hill a little bit and be in position to take it. I've still been skunked more than got the shot. because <laughs> <laughs> Landscape photography. Even when there's clouds, uh, sometimes the clouds are too thick and you get no sun, or yeah. the clouds just kind of die as the sun's coming <laughs> up. And it's still cool to take a shot and try to get maybe like a, a star effect on the sun, but uh, they don't work out most of the time to be anything really great. 
Yeah. But uh, it's been enough that that's been really fun. The other one I've really liked is going up into Corner Canyon that's across the valley from me here in Harriman for sunsets. So I, I've done that a number of times, too. There's a, a cool little spot. It's it's a one that's pretty accessible, so it's not following that rule I just said. But <laughs> but uh, you can you can park down in this parking lot area, and then I can walk. It probably takes me about 20 minutes to get to the top of the hill still, and then uh, just kind of camp out there. And there's an advantage where there's like this highway running through it, and you can capture taillights in the in a long exposure uh, if the sunset's not cool. Hmm. Right on. So where would you want to go in Utah? Where do you still have a dream of going out to? Well, one of them you guys just barely did a little bit ago, and that's the Salt Flats. I've not done that yet. Oh, the Salt Flats is crazy. (laughs) Cool place. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. We have relatives living in Reno, so I I head out across those all the time as we're going to visit them in Reno. And uh, in particular, we went there a few weeks ago. We'd had a lot of rain, a lot of moisture, and Mm. the... The ground is normally dry, dry, and even not right on the salt flats, but just it was for mile after mile after mile. It was all like there was a, a half inch of water, standing water across everything. So they you had this cool scene of like desert sagebrush stuff soaked <laughs> in water, and it, yeah, it was very yeah. different from the view I normally had of it. So I wanted to stop so bad. But I had like an eight-hour drive ahead of me. There was no way I was going to be able to stop. Kids in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Take a picture. Yeah, it makes it really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed it on Netflix, but they have basically, it seemed like, paid for by Canon uh, Netflix video called The Light or Into the Light. I can't remember the exact name, but there's one lady in there that goes to the salt flats and flies around in one of those propeller parachute paraglider setups. And she gets a shot. And it's really cool because at that point, they're almost dry, but they have puddles. And they have all these really cool rings and patterns of salt crystals that are higher than the water while it has all these little di- different puddles everywhere oh, wow. and it's really cool looking so there's this, i want to see it now when it's totally flooded and flat and still i want to see it when it's completely dry and flat and i also want to see it when it has those puddles everywhere that's awesome looking yeah i love the cracked ground look that just provide a, a foreground element that would be really cool in the picture i've seen tons of them anyway but uh, i'd love to go get my own of that one right. of our bucket list items is to get a Milky Way out there with that really white reflective ground yeah. and just looking awesome flat and crystally. So if we can, we want to take you with us. Yeah, that'd be fun. So Aaron and I both have families and kids, and we're assuming you do too. And uh, we find it, you know, it's hard to get that balance between going out and building your portfolio and getting the imaging success you want. And uh your work with improved photography takes time. So how do you find balance for all that? That is really hard <laughs> to do, <laughs> especially uh, the, the time it takes to produce that podcast. Cause that's kind of my first priority in my free time right now would be the podcast. I have, I want to take care of that first every week and then photography, then I get to have time. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I kind of default to the off the back porch shooting <laughs> a lot right now because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's what I have time for. I can grab my camera, take uh, three minutes to shoot it, and then uh, you know I can get to post-processing later. I got a massive backlog of, of shots to post-process because I'm shooting uh, fast enough I can't keep up with the, the shots and, and what I want to do in post-processing them. But uh, it's... It's a real challenge, and I, I've got three kids, so they're and they're all very involved in things. So it's it's rare that I wouldn't have a week where, like, I have something every single evening to to be doing with my family. 
And then on weekends, uh, ends up being like a Saturday morning <laughs> is when I have time to, <laughs> to do other stuff. So I, I tend right. to get up early pretty well every day. Uh, some, some mornings I'll get up and I'll, I know I want to process at least one photo so that I can put it on Instagram and uh, keep my feed flowing with uh, content on Instagram or, or Facebook. I try to fit in as much as I can, but it usually means getting up really early than when no one else is to work on it. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny how our wives are okay if we don't get any sleep. There's nothing else that can get cut from the schedule as easily as, well, just don't get any sleep. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, my wife's like the opposite because I usually stay up late to do work because that's the quiet time for me and I can get like a three or four hour block but then I end up sleeping in and that the wife is not happy about that. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so so you, I might have to change my schedule. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned processing a bit there. I wanted to ask you, um, <clears throat> the more I learn about processing, the more stuff that's out there, like luminosity masks, I find myself spending hours oh, yeah. on a picture. And do you have a workflow that you feel is more of a sweet routine and just kind of efficient? Or are you like me where it just depends on the picture and you might do really intense work or you might do practically nothing at all? Yeah, so yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think for me and, and what I've kind of been saying lately on Photo Taco, it depends on how, how well you capture it in camera about what's gonna, how much post-processing I'm going to do. And the mistake I made early, early on uh, you know, since since I'm an IT guy and my day job has to do with computers, uh, I'm I know them inside and out, and I was really comfortable. Like it didn't take any time to get comfortable with Lightroom and Photoshop. It just came very naturally, very easily for me because of those the previous skills that I've had. And uh, and I think that actually contributes to a, there's a whole lot of photographers who are computer guys uh, because of that, that same that. reason. There seem to be a whole bunch that like they still want a creative outlet, and photography is what they pick. Because then it has a whole bunch of it on the computer, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and I'm no different, and and I so that that part of it came naturally, and the problem was that it came too naturally, so I didn't figure out or I it the the learning of how to get it right in camera was delayed for me because oh. I was fixing it in post processing. I could overcome mistakes and problems and challenges that would have been so much easier if I'd have just used the right shutter speed or just used the right aperture <laughs> or just changed a few things as I took the shot, I would have saved myself hours of time on the computer. And I didn't really figure out that balance for a really, in fact, I'm, I'm still working on it. I still tend to have way too much I, I want to do with the photo and post-processing than trying to, to get it in camera better. So the, the way it should work would be it look, it's already a really good photo when you took it straight out of the camera. And you're just going to do a little bit to it to bring a little more to it, especially in the digital media. Uh, and if you're shooting raw, they're flat. They're, the images are not as good as they can be, and that's by design mm -hmm. when you shoot raw. So you have to go post-process yeah. them. But it, should, it can be really meaning, uh, minimal if, you do it, if, you take, if you're starting off with a good shot. If you're having to spend hours just to get it to the point where like, okay, this is passable now for a good shot, <laughs> then you're, you're, that's wrong. That's not the right way to do it. Brendan and I had a recent occurrence where he was light painting for me out in Zion. And I had a tree situation where the hill was cresting and behind it was the Milky Way. And at the time, it seemed brilliant. Light paint, this whole scenery here, just do it like this, and it looked great on the camera. But when I come back and I put the light painting into my shot from my Milky Way shot, it separates that scenery from the Milky Way so much, it looks fake. Yep. 
it looked like I composited the scenery in over a Milky Way shot that wasn't mine. And so my yeah, shot hasn't, yeah, I can't even use it in my portfolio right. because it just has that look. And it's something that we were trying to do is when we're out on location, have kind of a checklist of things that you want to do and not rush because you just have a hard time not feeling rushed mm-hmm. and you do certain things and you compromise and we need to make those compromises less. I think if I would have paid attention more, we might have helped with a different light source, a different angle, trying to bring the background in some depth so it didn't look like it was one object in the front and that Milky Way in the back. It had just nothing else to right, it. Right, right. I think that's part of the fun I have with it is the learning aspects too. I, I really enjoy learning overall anyway. Uh, it was a natural fit again for photography that it just provided this other thing I could go research Prior to that, it was all just like computer technology stuff that I would read. But I, I was constantly learning about that. I still do, but because yeah, that's that's my job. But then uh, with photography, I just really enjoy the learning aspects. I'm never going to be done figuring out how to do new things in photography, and I, I love that. I like. Mm, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to even like in retirement when I'm done with my day job. Um, having more time to play around with and learning more about how to do photography. Uh, forever and that that's going to be a good way for me to have something to do when I retire at some some point and that makes me think about you know when you look at the history of photography when it first got started in like the you know turn of the century 19th century early like 1920s and stuff there were photographers developing the technology and they were doing crazy things like having a whole scene that was floating like you've got a chair, table, woman, everything oh, right. floating. And you're like looking at this black and white picture that's almost 100 years old. And you're like, how the crap did yeah. they do that? How did they manage You know, that? like how did they, like, I can't even fathom doing that today. You know, right. they did this 100 years ago. So it's like, this is crazy. So there's definitely things you can always learn with photography. That's, that is really a fun thing about it. <laughs> that's perfect segue into the question that we had for you about <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew back when you started? And you may have answered it a little bit, but can you, can you go into more on that? Yeah, I, it, you're right. I, it, we did kind of talk about it a little bit. It, it would be that understanding that you've got to do everything you can to get it as right in camera as possible, and that will really help you in the long run. I certainly understand that. I, and I know I heard it as I was researching how to do this. There was <laughs> there's this uh, get it right in camera thing, this stuff out there about that's what you really have to do. Or people would post straight out of camera, the SOOC uh moniker on stuff. It took a long time to even figure out what that meant as I was looking into yeah. it. But Souk. Yeah, Souk. What is that? <laughs> and um but but that's that's a really big emphasis from a lot of photographers and I didn't believe them and when I first when I was getting started. It was like, come on, there's that's just because you don't know how to do it on the computer. You're yeah, not willing you're to spend lazy. the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, no, it, it it really matters. It you can accomplish a lot of it in post-processing if you're willing to spend the time. But even if you have the the longest time you want to go do it, there's some things that you just can't recreate. Like if, if you don't have sharpness in the shot, the software is not going to get you the yeah, sharpness in the shot. You just it can't mm. do it. It's, uh, it's some camera shake you can kind of overcome. Photoshop has a really good filter that can be applied that, that reduces camera shake. And can can resurrect photos. I've resurrected a number of shots that where I had the shutter just a little bit too slow, and so I ended up with a tiny bit of camera shake. It can't be much, and that made the shot not fully sharp. And then if you apply that filter, Photoshop does its magic and it does a good job of of recovering it. 
making it so you can do it. It's still not as good as nailing it, though. It just can't be. Yeah. And so, um, so it's it. I wish that I'd really understood that when I started, and I know I heard it, but so hopefully now when people hear it, they're like, okay, <laughs> I've got to make sure I do everything I can to get it right in camera. That will make my life much easier, and then the potential for that shot goes higher. You 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 can take a shot that you didn't quite get as perfect as as possible in the camera, and take it to a certain point better than than maybe even a lot of other people's shots. Uh, snapshots from a smartphone even but to take it to the highest level you got to get it right in camera yeah that's kind of how we feel too we've just from experience we're just like this could have been so much better yeah. than we've done it right the first time yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and you, it's that mode that you get in that speed mode okay i got to capture this it's happening right now get that thing out and then you settle on something when i was starting out i found myself focusing on okay uh here's my setting i have my shot okay it's a little too bright turn this down all right i turn that down it's not bright anymore i got my shot and i feel like well as i learn more in the beginning i was like okay wait a sec you know yeah i kind of got that exposed there but i could also do it at this aperture and at this different setting for the shutter and then it's still exposed well but it has a much different sharpness than it had in my other exposure even though it looked exposed well mm. in my screen and so you start playing around with the exposure triangle and realizing that there's different options that are going to end up being better and at first you think it's just a few things you can do, and then you find out more and more and more, and it's just like this litany of options that you really could adjust and change and get that sharpness or get that shot where you want it. On the other hand, I, I do th feel like um, there's this prevalence of people thinking that they have to have the highest gear to get the shot oh, too, yeah. right? There's, right. I got to have a full-frame camera or I can't get good shots. And, uh, and that's I, I, it's the exact opposite for me because I, I, I sort of felt that way from a lot of photography people training that that's, that was this bias they had to. And I mean, if you can afford to do it, that's, that's great. Yes, of course, you're, it, it may even make your life a little bit easier, but I'm, I'm very convinced now that you can take entry-level beginner gear, cheap gear, <laughs> inexpensive gear, I guess I should say, because <laughs> it's really not cheap still. Oh man, no. <laughs> uh, but take inexpensive gear and do some techniques. Use techniques. A lot of it's still in camera, but use some techniques to overcome that and produce really good results without having to have that pro level, really expensive gear. Yeah, and not just to throw another name out there, but you know, Jared Poland's videos, throw that in your face. He's done that a few times in the last year. Takes a straight up kit lens, kit, you know, $1,000 camera and a kit lens. And just blows it up and shows everything that people say you can't do with a kit lens or a stock camera. And he's just like, yeah, you can. Sure. You know, it's all about the skills. Yeah, it's the, the knowledge about how it works that, that really matters. And if someone is a novice and doesn't know how to go into manual mode, <laughs> and not that you have to be in manual mode, but if you don't know how, that's a problem. Yeah. Then... Um, you know, they're, they're not going to, even if they have the top of the line, full frame, all the lenses, they're still not going to get good shots. You have to have some knowledge there. And if you have the knowledge, you can overcome the gear to some degree and, and really get some good shots without having to spend tons of money on it. You really emphasize that point with your supermoon shot with how you used your kit lens in the end. And yeah, you said that if you had better gear, it would have been a lot less work in post-processing, but your shot is amazing. 
Yeah, that's right. It it was it, it was a lot more work than it would have been. It had been like a single click, and I'd have been done if I'd have had a a nice Nikon full frame camera and and lens. Um, but instead, it was hours of sitting there on the bridge waiting for the moon to be right and test shots and uh, and actually even before that night, it was the technique I was mastering over time of all the times I've shot the moon. I'd done it for years and figured out kind of what I wanted to do and how it was. And that night it finally all pulled together so that it, it worked out. Yeah. It's a great shot. I was just showing Brendan it and yeah. we're kind of, we're jealous of it because we were out there. We, you know, we were out there the same night trying to capture something and we got okay shots. So what advice would you have for budding landscape photographers like ourselves who are, you know, trying to build their portfolio? Um, I, it's just going to take a lot of shooting to get good shots. I, I don't know how many I've, I have in my I looked in Lightroom the other day as I was doing a podcast just to see how many photos I've got in the catalog. It was emphasizing you don't have to split your catalog for the number of photos that are in there. And uh, it's it's like 80,000 something uh, photos that are nice. in there. And out of those 80,000, I have like 20 that I'm really proud of right <laughs> so the, right. the ratio is going to be pretty bad as you're getting started <laughs> you have to just shoot and shoot and shoot some of it's trying to understand composition and how do you build that up how, how do you go out to a site maybe it's one that you've never seen before and decide what to shoot how do you do that yeah and uh to make it so that it's a, a meaningful shot and that's taken time to develop and it needs to be, I think, it's individual for everybody. I don't think you can point to a single technique for composition and say that's going to be the winner. But um, I'm kind of developing my style over time as I have more experience. And it will be different. I'll go to the same spot over and over and over and decide to try different things. And it, it will be like I've I shot on that bridge that, for that supermoon a lot. And that's finally the first one that I was like, ooh, this one worked. <laughs> and now why did it work <laughs> you know figure out yeah what happened what made it work and it was uh, a five percent bigger moon That's what yeah there it was that it wasn't so much bigger that it was a big deal. no <laughs> it was like twenty thousand miles closer than it normally is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's a lot of miles but uh yeah but when you look at the apogee the perigee of the moon it like jumps around for like fifty thousand miles back and forth yeah. or something and so it was like an extra 10 or an extra 20 right. on top of it so I, I think it would just be you know if, if you're not getting stuff that just looks really awesome be patient with yourself and just keep trying at it if it's something you enjoy doing if it's the experience is something you're enjoying then that's great just keep working on it and that's where it is for me i, I know every time i go out it's not likely I'm going to come away with a, ma a shot that I'm ready to stick in my portfolio. Every single outing, is, it's not likely that I'm going to get one. But when I do, um, then it's, it's just even that much more fun to, to figure out. And I'm mm -hmm. always learning so that I, I think it feels to me like I am getting it so that the likelihood I'm going to come away with a portfolio shot in a landscape shoot is increasing, but it's still not that that uh, ratio is not real good yet. Yeah, we completely understand you. I mean, we focused this year on building our portfolio and going out on big, big long weekend trips as well as some day trips that we went out. And with all the trips that we have made, uh, I both of us, I think, really have 10 maybe shots that we call portfolio pieces. Mm -hmm. 
like it's not even more than a dozen yet and i don't think we hit 80,000 of course this year but uh, <laughs> it is tough to get a shot or have all the scenario work out for you just have all the circumstance and the conditions just work in and work yeah and our portfolio feels like it's growing you know and, and maturing too like what i would use as a portfolio shot last year is definitely not what i would use this sure, year sure yeah. sure like i've got so many shots now that are so much better i'd be like no way Kit- you know, kick, cut that one out and use this one. Yeah, that's funny how that happens. You really do. So that might be another recommendation I'd add to it would be uh, the top 10 process. And uh, this is something that I started off really early on. It was something from Martin Bailey. I had this suggestion on his podcast. I listened to him, yeah. And, uh, and so I, I started it when I heard that, and that was within the first year of doing it, that he goes through his photos every year and he does a top 10 and so he, he's, of course, got much better work to be choosing from than I have at this, <laughs> this point. But uh, it, it's a really cool exercise. So I, what I do is I, I have a Lightroom collection that is my top 10 candidates. And I keep just adding photos as I, as I post-process mm. them. Mm, if smart. it's one that is, I think, a contender to be in the top 10, I'll, I throw it into that collection so that at the end of the year, I have between 30 and 50 shots that were mm-hmm. ones I thought should be considered for top 10. And I don't have to go search for them, which is what kills most people trying to do the top 10. If they have to go right. through all their photos and find the few that they want to include. Man, that makes it a tough job at the end of the year to do that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have this collection built out. And then it is, choose your, the baby, you know, which baby's the ugliest, <laughs> and, uh, and throw it out. So it's really challenging and, and hard to do that. But the, the best benefit is, now that I've done it several years in a row, I can go back and look at my first top 10. I thought, you know, not a single one of those would have made a top 10 now. My, mm. I've improved mm. significantly. And some of those were on my portfolio. If I felt like they were my top 10 for the year, that, that means they're in my portfolio. And um, I've taken a bunch of those from the first one out of my portfolio now because they're not good enough anymore for where, what, I've, what I've been able to do and how I've been able to improve. That's really good advice, and I think I'm going to start doing a top 10 list. I know that my portfolio isn't huge yet, and so it's practically only a top 10 list, but I think I'm going to keep that going all of 2017 is just put the contenders in a separate collection. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah, it's I've started that. My, my Lightroom, I started a portfolio folder that I've been putting stuff into that I was going to do kind of a similar process, but I like the top 10 better because my portfolio should be what I'm currently emphasizing. Yeah. And I think a top 10 is a great way to do a rolling. Yeah. I think I really like that idea. Yeah. So following you, I have noticed you mentioned Tony Northrup as a friend of yours. I just heard you say Martin Bailey. And so <laughs> with all these photography and YouTube heroes that we've all got, who would you recommend that inspires you that maybe we should start following? So and they're they're more of like uh, social media acquaintances than anything for me. Uh, Best friends, totally yeah, new. right. They they wouldn't probably even know my name. <laughs> so that, uh, but we do have exchanges online, and because they're podcasters, there's kind of a soft spot for them for other podcasters. No, they're willing to uh, to engage a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. <laughs> Um, that's nice. So, so I've had a little bit of yeah, that. Man. That's all. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, Martin Bailey, I, I enjoyed his a lot, and and Tony's stuff. He's he's a former Microsoft employee, so uh, he just yeah. is exactly like me. <laughs> just <laughs> as far as his interest goes, and and how he approaches things, uh, his mindset, I guess, 
it just really speaks to me about how he does it. Of course, all of Jim's, the podcasts that, that are in Proof Photography Network, uh, I really like those. Uh, Twip, I listen to Twip a lot. I don't know Twip. I think I've seen it. What's Twip? It's This Week in Photo. Uh, Fred, Frederick oh, Van Johnson oh, okay. is the, the host of it. He's a former photojournalist for the Army, I think it was. The military, I, can't, I think it was the Army. Well, that's and, crazy. Um, and so he brings kind of a, a different perspective to things. And, and he has Martin on and, and a bunch of other uh, high-profile photography media people that he brings onto his show every week. He has at least two guests every week on his podcast. And then they just, they really kind of go through the news. That's the primary thing they do. They go through it and share their opinions about the news. So that's kind of fun to hear their perspective. I enjoy that one. Um, trying to think what else I have on my, on my phone for podcasts. That's, that's kind of the, I don't have as much time for podcasts as I used to. <laughs> I used to listen to them a lot, lot more, but th- those are kind of the big ones. I think, Oh, I guess the digital photo experience, there's that one too. So that's one ponds. Um, and uh, Rick Salmon, and they're just a couple guys who started a podcast too. But they, Rick in particular, has written I don't know, it's like eight books or something. Uh, he's written a bunch of books on photography, and they're now part of the Twip Network. Their podcast got well, okay. got potted or brought into that family. But um, I've enjoyed their stuff too. Uh, Juan Pons is a really good wildlife photographer, so I've. I've really been interested. I haven't really done much with wildlife. I've tried a little bit, but you got to have really long lenses, and I don't have oh, any. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. not yet. So I haven't really done much with it. And uh, so one, I, I loved listening to it just to try to figure out what the technique would be before I got the long lens and, and be ready for the time when I do have a long lens. Or if I ever rent one, now I'd, I'd have the confidence that because of listening to that podcast that uh, if I rented a really long, say, 600-millimeter lens, then I'd, I'd know what to do with it and not just end up with a bunch of blurry shots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I probably would, too. I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably end up with blurry shots since I wouldn't. I'd expect it to be as easy as using a 7200, but it's not going to no. be. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely different, different <laughs> beasts. So I heard recently on the Facebook group for Improved Photography, they talked about the eagles, the bald eagles that migrate down, and they're all in Coeur d'Alene. There's 200 sometimes. And I talked to my brother-in-laws, and they said, here at Willard Bay, you can find some bald eagles. And there's a place out past Tooele that my brother-in-law says he always sees one or two. Uh-huh. So we're debating on going out there and doing maybe some bald eagle photography, and maybe we'll grab you. We'll pick you up in Harriman and take you out. <laughs> cool. It'll just have to be at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's right. <laughs> on Saturday. Mm. In the winter time when it's uh, dark at 6 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, dark Good. and freezing. Wildlife Not photography. My favorite, but. <laughs> now, you mentioned it earlier. You said something about when you retire. But if you, like right now, the day job, just all of a sudden, whoever you work for just makes a killer in something, and you make this incredible bonus that is just going to pay your way the rest of your life. And now you just have to help your bills for your family, your food's coming, your house is taken care of, and now you can just do anything with your full day. What kind of photographer would you be and where would you go? Would you do travel photography? Would you do a lot more portrait stuff? Or would you just get out there every morning in Utah? I'd certainly probably travel more uh, going to some of the places. There, there's so many places, even just in the United States. I don't know that I'd even have to travel internationally. There's so many places in the United States I'd like to go and spend some serious time shooting, like, like not just a weekend, go there for a couple of weeks. And like I said, as I get to a site and because I go to the same places over and over and over in Utah, 
that that's produced better results because I, I know the location better. I can figure out what I want to do next time that will be different. And when you go yeah. on a weekend, you can't do that. That's just you're done over Not a weekend enough. and you hope you got what you wanted. And uh, and I think you I feel like I end up with better shots anyway when I'm able to do it over and over and over and over. Just have lots of tries at it and figure out what I want to draw out of that scene. So it would be so fun to go spend, I don't know, a month, maybe have an, uh, get an RV and drive somewhere and just yeah. live yeah. there for a while trying to get the shots. And that would be cool. But I'm really also loving the sports photography that I've recently kind of started getting into. Um, I'm loving the, the part I'm loving the most is taking they don't they're not spectacular shots that I'm getting on their own. But when I can uh, kind of cut the people out, the athletes out of the scene and add them to like a really cool designed background with uh, text on there and it kind of just makes them look tough. These high school athletes that, I'm, <laughs> that I've got shots of, it kind of transforms them, makes them look, it's kind of like the ESPN effect, I guess. Yeah, yes. Right? Just about to say that. Yeah. You, you add these graphics around them and all of a sudden <laughs> it just elevates the person that's been photographed to a level that they may not even been in. And uh, and I'm really having fun doing that right now. That's been super fun to work on. Yeah, Harriman High, did they win their game on No, I, I don't know. I, I didn't go shoot. It was my wife's birthday. So I, I was... Oh. Not at the game, and I don't... Smart move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to mention along the lines of like what you're doing for the high school kids and giving them that that experience that really elevates them. That's kind of how I felt when Aaron and I first started doing this. Like, He took me out to Strawberry Reservoir, which I hadn't been to yet, and it was was like early spring. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. It was 10 (laughs) degrees. It was freezing cold, and we we were like wearing full-on snowsuits and everything. It was still freezing. Oh, yeah. But we were out there for like three hours because I just kept getting these Milky Way shots that I've never gotten before. And I was just in awe, in total awe over the whole thing. And looking at my, you know, my LCD in the back of my camera and being like, oh my gosh, like I just took this, like this is amazing. And so our whole thing is like, we want to share that with other people and give them that same awe feeling like, you know, and so one of the things we want to do is, is we were focusing on our portfolio this year so we could build up a reputation then start doing some workshops and giving that same experience back to people so we're really excited i'm really excited to start doing that you know this next spring and summer and fall so i I mean just having so so part of is photography is great and there's a lot of people that i meet that are landscape photographers and they just go out there by themselves and they just like the the solitude of it you know and it's kind of like, well, that's that's cool. And you can share it because you can share your pictures. Like this guy I met last night, he's sharing his pictures by selling, you know, his framed work. And and so he's making a little bit of income doing that. And um, and he gets other gigs doing that. But it's for him, it's a very personal experience. Yeah. And I'm kind of more of an out. And Aaron, Aaron and I are definitely more outgoing yeah. personality-wise. Social people. We're more social. And so sharing that experience is more, is more like um, rewarding for us, you know. Right. In general. So... That's one of the cool things about photography is that, yeah, it can be something therapeutic for yourself, yep. but then it's something you can easily share, you know, not just online and social media, but you can actually take groups with you and share it on a very personal level as well and really help someone engage in it and help them build their skills. I don't know. That's what I, I don't know. That's one of the things that I really love about photography and especially the kind of the avenue I guess we're taking now in it. Well, it's something. And you're similar too. You're sharing it with your podcast and other stuff as well. And I'm excited because it's something I can do. I can see doing it well into like 70s, 80s or 80 years old. You won't be doing oh, the right. hiking necessarily when you're that age, oh, but yeah. 
but you can still go take a, a good photo of the places that you can get to without doing that. Whereas a lot of other hobbies, a lot of other things that people might be thinking they're going to do when they retire, you, you might physically be unable to be able to do. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I just, ex- I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that retirement time <laughs> so that I can, I can focus on it a little more and, and just really enjoy it. It'll be just beautiful for me. I'm sure I don't, I don't anticipate doing it for any other reason, but I'm looking forward to that time. Yeah. There's a photographer I just met a couple weeks ago and I bought a lens from him. He was doing a lot of skiing and ski photography when he was younger, but then he hurt his knees or he just getting, he just getting old and his knees are getting worn out. And he's just like, I can't do that anymore. So I started focusing on my bass fishing and now he does that professionally for like 14 or 15 different, you know, magazines. He does, he sells his fishing photos. Right. Right. And so he's, so he's not just, he wasn't just a skier, but he likes skiing and fishing. So he would do, you know, so he just focused more on that. And it's just cool that photography can actually allow you to do that. You can totally move within genres and be good still and focus on something on just a different subject it's really it's really neat yeah the best long-lasting hobby you could have i think so (laughs) so jeff uh thanks for coming on where can people find your work follow your instagram where can people follow you yeah okay so on instagram i'm at harman jeff all one word uh h-a-r-m-o-n jeff and then uh my website's the where i have all of the the best shots i've had since i got started (laughs) That's <laughs> J.S. Harmon. Uh, my wife shoots with me when we do portraits, so that's the S. She's Susie. And so jsharmonphotos.com. You want us to follow the Photo Taco Twitter feed or anything like that? Oh, sure. Yeah, Photo at Photo Taco Podcast on Twitter, at Photo Taco Podcast on Instagram, and uh, then, of course, go subscribe to Photo Taco in the uh, whatever podcatcher you use yes please go out to the goog as jeff has said (laughs) in the past and you'll find photo taco simple simply type in photo taco and a topic and you probably will find something there yeah probably not a lot of competition for those names but seriously thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate this it was fun guys we should do it again and thank you guys for listening joining us on another photog adventure podcast we will be back in another week and get out there to photo taco and listen to jeff Harmon. he is fantastic thanks again everybody thanks for visiting guys and uh take care have a good week